For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast, a voice for culture and conservation within fly fishing. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by our good friends at Scott Fly Rods. Some of you may be familiar with this sound. Whoa! We all break a fly rod from time to time. Usually we tell our friends that it happened while fighting the fish of a lifetime that got away. But more often than not, it gets crunched in a car door or because you laid it down in the wrong spot and your fishing buddy took an unfortunate step. Scott fly rods are built to last a lifetime. But the folks at Scott also understand that sometimes life gets in the way. To get your hands on one of these lifetime guaranteed fly rods with one of the fastest repair shops in the business, head to your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. This episode is also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures, who's currently working on the Bahamas relief effort through their initiative, Double Haul for Dorian. You'll hear more about their efforts in the Bahamas through the Yellow Dog Community and Conservation Fund later on in this episode. Actually, this is a rather natural segue because this episode is all about the Bahamas, mainly the hurricane, and what you can do to help. And as always, this story starts on the water. All right, so this is rolling now? Yeah, it's all set. All right, now I'm going up in my office. <laughs> this recording was made in July of 2018. I was 24 years old on my first flats fishing trip. Location, East End Lodge on Grand Bahama Island. Our target... Bonefish. Right now, this water's going out, so it's dropping here. It's about three quarters of the way out now. But this story, it's not about bonefish. You can go listen to episodes 45 and 46 if you want that. Actually, this episode isn't even about fish, it's about people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. This is Cecil. He guided me to my first bonefish. I spent five days with him on the water and shared countless meals. Big heart, good attitude, great guy. Bad day? What is that? <laughs> like with bonefish, pound for pound, you know, so every fish that I, you know, ever caught, bonefish is the ultimate, you know, when it comes to that power. Man, you get a one pound and he's still fighting like. And in many ways, Cecil is the success story of what fly fishing can do for a place like the Bahamas. Where did you grow up? In McLeanstown. It's from Eastern Lodge. My house is in the car. It's about a minute away. I have a long commute to work. He's from the Bahamas, the east end of Grand Bahama, actually, right where the lodge is. He grew up on the ocean, on the flats. And... When did you realize that you wanted to be a guide? Well, you know, when I saw the guides, them, you know, take the clients out and just pulling along the shoreline, I saw the, saw the clients them casting the rod. I said, man, that looks like fun. You know, and at that time I was in ninth grade, you know, in school. I said, but five, hundred feet right off in the front of the school. You see them pulling along and catching bonefish. 
And so I said, man, that looks like fun. I'd like to try that some days. And right on that, you know, I just, I asked um, Walter. Walter, a fellow Bahamian who was already a bone fishing guide in the area, that really took Cecil under his wing. Well, just to teach me how to, you know, become a, to, you know, what it takes to become a guide. And how old were you? Like ninth, 10th grade, when you asked him? Fifteen, sixteen, somewhere in there. And, and what did Walter say when you asked him? Oh, he said, you know, when he have the time, you know, he'll take me out, no problem. You know, first of all, you know, he teach me how to cast a fly rod, you know, and I learned that, you know, quick, you know, within, within five to six, you know, months. So the, to me, the fly fishing part of it, you know, I pick it, I get that quick, you know. The first bonefish I caught, you know, I was pretty excited, you know, because I never know that even a bonefish had that much power until you feel the first bonefish on the rod, you know. So you never know that a bonefish have that much power until you really hook up on one and the fight for a bonefish. Because, you know, you used to catching little snappers and just pull them in. You know, you get a one-pound bonefish and it's still difficult to just, you know, bring him in. He's still putting up a fight. How did you eventually feel comfortable doing it? Time. Time. You know, the more time I put into it, then I start getting more comfortable and start learning, you know, a lot of different, you know, new areas from where to fish. But a lot of it bone fishing is like, just what you put into it. I see basically, I feel like that's what you'll get out of it. You gotta put your time in. You know, and then a lot of times, you you know, when you're on your days off, you know, you just got to, like, go then do it a bit, you know, on your own. Because it's, it's real difficult, you know, when you're trying to get someone to make the cast. Because you're trying to get them to do the same thing with, like, what you would do. If you see a fisher, then you're trying to cast at that fish. So it's hard to get them just to do exactly what you want them to do. By just trying to coach them. And over the past 25 years, Cecil's guided thousands of anglers to their first, their largest, their most beautiful bonefish. But Cecil didn't want to stop there. He wasn't resigned to standing on the polling platform the rest of his life. Because he realized that the equation was stacked against him. As a guide, he made a salary in tips, but at the end of the day, that's just a wage. If you don't get a... You could get a piece of the pie, but a piece of the pie ain't gonna get his job. You're done for you to retire one day in your life because you always gonna be getting a certain amount of money, but it, it would never, until you own the business, you would never be able to retire. I don't feel like you'll be able to retire unless you get, you know, that, that big piece of the pie and own the business. Because I feel like, you know, you're always on a, just a set salary. You're only getting paid enough just to keep going. And so you're, you're guiding. What made you want to go beyond being a guide? What pushed you to start having those conversations with Rob and, like, put your skin in the game and money up front to own your own place? What, what inspired you to do that? Well, I, I would say all the clients would come down. They didn't come because of the managers them there. They come down because, you know, they have a good time with the guides and they fish with the guides and they build a relationship with the guide. Those clients came back to the Bahamas because of Cecil. 
And about a decade ago, Cecil finally got a piece of that pie. He's a founding member of East End Lodge. That right there is wealth. Cecil had made it. He owned a big house in McLeanstown, as well as a bar, a car, part of a lodge. And are you happy? Most happiest time in my life. I'm excited. All in one. I'm a happy camper right now. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Would you rather be in an office or out on the water? Out on the water, 100%. You know, that's the women Robert, you know, first formed the company. That's the one thing what I sit down and, you know, what we established, you know. I don't want to sit around. I love being out on the water too much for that. And for a long while, everything was dandy. Until... The Bahamas are being devastated by their strongest storm ever. Hurricane Dorian has been pummeling the islands for more than 24 hours now. One death reported. Five deaths. We have not had a storm in the Atlantic Basin make landfall this strong since 1935. The official death toll there from Hurricane Dorian is still 30. Grand Bahama Island so far we know has been getting the worst of Dorian. And it started to move west, west, west right over Grand Bahama Island. Thousands of people are still missing and government officials warn the final death toll will be staggering. The United Nations estimating 76,000 have been left homeless across the Bahamas. From last night, we've been sleeping outside right there on the floor. In the floor, on the grass. Same thing again tonight. My mommy dead, my brother, my cousin, they dead in the water. Um, the body right there by the church, they just moved my brother. I went there, I just see mommy, mommy still in the floor. And I know you've probably seen the photos of the destruction wrought upon the Bahamas. But I promise you, it's actually worse than that. My words don't do this justice, but the main islands of Abaco and Grand Bahama are fucked. Truly and completely fucked. There was a 24-foot storm surge in a place that I don't think I saw a single tract of land that was more than 30 feet above sea level. Everything was flooded. And I'm not being alarmist here. The devastation is incomprehensible. As of recording this, the official hurricane-related body count in the Bahamas was 45. But the Bahamas press reports that the number of missing people is in the thousands. But this is just me telling that story. To hear the perspective of somebody who's been on the ground in Grand Bahama, I got on the phone with Cecil's business partner, the owner of East End Lodge, Rob Nair. How you doing, my friend? I am doing very well. Yourself? That was not the answer I expected to hear. Um, yeah, I, I'm doing fine, but what's going on down there, man? How How's everybody doing? How are you holding up? You sound like you're holding up well. I guess somebody has to in this. Somebody's got to, and it definitely needs to be me. I mean, you know, I was in the U.S. when the storm hit, and, you know, we saw it, and it, Nobody anticipated it, A, to be as bad. And, of course, you always hope it usually always misses you or gets closer. But when you get a direct hit like we did, it was catastrophic. I mean, the east end of Grand Bahama, and I'm talking the last 35 miles of the island, you know, the, the, the east end province from Freetown to McLeanstown, which is about 35 miles, the word I'm telling everybody is it's been eviscerated. People's homes that were in our settlement in McLeanstown, 
that were once there are completely gone. But there's no rubble where they used to be. There's just a concrete path. It looks like somebody went and took the home and brushed off the concrete, and it's not there anymore. Walter, one of our guides, his home's completely gone. You know, Harry's house is completely gone. Harry O's house is completely gone. I mean, it's been decimated. There's hardly one or two roofs left. I mean, the people are hurting bad. The government's overwhelmed. I'm not making excuses for them, but they're not prepared to handle this. You know, they got the issues over in Abaco where the density of population is probably 10 or 12,000 versus our 800 to 1,000 on the East End. And thank God for the U.S. government, the Coast Guard, the search and rescue. You know, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of lives on the East End of Grand Bahama. Fortunate for me, I've got a lot of good friends here and good contacts and you know, right away we started a GoFundMe page, but more importantly, the guests from East End Lodge, and not only guests, but people that have never been to the lodge are donating money. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. You know, so we're raising money that way and, um, you know, to help the people of East Grand Bahama. So it's nothing to do, you know, not just the lodge staff and families, but also the locals in the community that I know very well. I'm like, we need to help them, and we have. So we've done two emergency supply flights. We did one on Saturday, one on Sunday. I'm going to do another one on Wednesday. We're working on multiple more flights. Um, but right now we got them, you know, land. there's no power in Freeport at all. Most everybody went from the east end of Freeport to get away from the storm. Unfortunately, or well, Simeon's fine, but Elliot, you and I fished with Simeon that day. He decided to stay. Jesus. And I was told that, um, his house completely filled up with water and he held on for 30 hours. And I need to ask Simeon that story. And when I do see Simeon, I'm going to ask him that story. But anyway, so we, um, we flew over emergency supplies for two days. We, um, you know, we, we had a lot of help with the yellow dog conservation fund, community conservation fund. And also from the donations from the, um, the GoFundMe page, we were able to, to get a lot of supplies that people needed. You know, I got a list from, Sharisa, who you met, Cecil's wife, and, um, you know, and then we flew everything over. And it wasn't just, like I said, the, the staff of the lodge. It was also people in the community got them the emergency supplies. And now our next step is to find them temporary housing. And unfortunately, a lot of Freeport was flooded, so a lot of that housing that was – there was actually a lot is now diminished. And I'm kind of working all my little leads and stuff like that because, you know, we can – get a few families, you know, in, in normal, in normal housing, even though they don't have power, the power, I'm sure in Freeport will be restored re- relatively soon within the next couple of weeks. The East End's a whole nother, uh, you know, a whole nother topic, but um, we get them temporary housing. We got them emergency supplies. I've had a lot of, you know, it's funny because in South Florida here, we've had so many people donate to churches and organizations, but they just, they were doing a good thing, but then they're like, wow, what do we do with all this stuff? They don't know. I've spent most of today and yesterday talking to these people, and now we're trying to come up with a plan that we can actually warehouse and stockpile goods for the people of East and Grand Bahama. And that's my goal is to help the people of East and Grand Bahama. You know, I'm going to do that. And with everybody's help, of course, you know, and now I'm a little worried, okay, we need medicines, we need this and that. They're running out of things like that as well. You know, we need a wheelchair. Somebody's wheelchair broke, so now i got to find a wheelchair tomorrow, you know. Those are the things we need. Um, we're going to put lists together. We're going to do it every couple of days. Then I'm going to try to, um, you know, get it going. You know, today I shipped over two tractor tires on a boat. 
uh, with some generators and some more water. Water seems to be a problem over there, even though on the news channels you see all this water's coming over, the locals aren't getting it at all. I mean, I flew into Freeport on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm like, hey, guys. They said, hey, you bring water. I said, no. Remember we said, I'm not bringing water. And they're like, there's no water. Like, there's got to be water. It's on the news. He goes, there's no water. And this is not just one person. This is like 12 people telling me there's no water. So we've got like almost 30 cases over today, 26, 30 cases, something like that. So anyway, so we're getting, we're slowly getting things going for them. We got them little burners so they could, you know, heat up food, you know, the little Coleman stoves, battery uh, powered lanterns, some hygiene things. Nobody can take showers. There's no running water in Freeport right now. So it's, it's, it's getting bad. Hopefully the, you know, the government will get everything going in the city and, and what have you, but, uh, you know, trying to get the supplies over to them. So that's how we're doing. It's going to be a long road to, uh, for the residents of East and Grand Bahama. I mean, just, well, my heart goes out to them. We're going to keep pushing through. And then we're in discussions with some people and some good donors and stuff about helping people rebuild, you know, um, unfortunately, unlike the lodge, um, People didn't have homeowners insurances, especially in the smaller settlements. It just doesn't exist. So these people, their homes, the ones that are still left, they need to put new roofs on, what have you. They don't have insurance. You know, that's that's our next challenge after we get people housed because the East End is so bad that it's going to be months, and I mean months and months, if not a year or more, for these people to move back into their homes. You know, uh, Cecil's home had about 12 feet of water. After it receded and he finally clawed his way up there, he's been going on a backhoe every day because a normal vehicle can't make it. Oh, there's five inches of mud in his house now and the septic tank backed up into his house. So basically he's trying to just get everything and clean everything up. It's going to be a long, long haul, long struggle to uh, to rebuild the East End for sure. So, Just a couple questions. Have you been out to East End yet? No, no. I've seen the flyovers. Um, there's no need for me to go out there. Because my energy needs to be staying here in Florida. I mean, I went on those flights, but look, the lodge is number 18 on the list. So for me to go out there, I've seen the, I've seen the aerials and I've seen enough of the people's homes. It's very easy to tell, you know, how bad it is. The lodge is way down the list. So don't care about that. So I don't need to go. Um, the people's homes rebuilding. I'm kind of their conduit to get things to them. So I'm better here. I mean, I've gone on the flights and been boots on the ground for like an hour, hour and a half. So you haven't seen the lodge like you haven't. I, I think you've purposely not focused on this, but like, is it even standing? Are the guest rooms standing? Yes. One is one isn't of uh, the two buildings. But like I said, it's like I'd rather not even talk about it because it's not I don't want it to be the focus of anything other than I'm insured. I can easily rebuild the lodge and open it and, you know, accommodate guests. But that's that's so minor right now. I right. mean, these people are they're thirsty. <laughs> they're hungry. They want to take a bath. You know, hygiene's gonna be an issue. There's parts of Freeport, like GT, one of my other guys, the house he's staying in right now, it's flooded. So it's just it's just messed up. The septic tank backed up. It's it's not it's bad, you know. It's moldy. You know, that's that's what we need to focus on is getting these people some quick relief. Because some people don't even have a house to rebuild. You know, like poor Walter, he didn't even have a house to rebuild. You know, Cecil has a house. He can rebuild it. Okay, fine. Walter, I saw him at the airport yesterday. He had the clothes on he rode through the hurricane with. He doesn't have any clothes. I don't know why, but nobody ever said, hey, bring Walter clothes. So 
when I go back on uh, Wednesday, I'm going to bring him some double uh, XLs. As you know, he's he's a big boy. But um, yeah, get get him some clothes is important, and, and get these people a little bit more normal life. You know, I'm standing here and you know. Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, in air conditioning, I feel guilty because these people are, you know, it's September. It's the hottest, August and September, hottest, most humid months of the year. They don't have any air conditioning at all. So they don't have ice and water is limited. And I still don't understand why that that's happening. So, Okay. All of that's understood. How How's the morale of the people that you're close with? How, how are the people doing over there? It was tough. The, the first couple communications before I got the first emergency supply flight on there, it was emotional. It was tough. And they were, they felt neglected alone. And when I saw Cecil, I mean, it was very emotional on Saturday. Uh, and I saw everybody else very, very emotional that they said they felt much better. And then seeing him the next day on Sunday, yesterday, it was much, much better. But I mean, these people's homes are destroyed, destroyed. But so it's not good. But they're resilient people. They're strong people. They're resourceful people. And they're going to get through it. And I told every one of them, I made them all give hugs. All of those guys don't want to hug another guy. I was like, you're going to hug me. And I hugged every one of the guys that, that came to the airport. And I said, we're going to get through this. But it's not going to be quick. Okay? It's going to be a process. But we will get through it. What can people like myself do to help? I, I know you've got this GoFundMe page set up. What we need is we need money, and we don't need to spend the money right away because we're banking this money. I've, you know, I started a GoFundMe page, the Dorian Relief Effort, East End, Grand Bahama. They can donate there. Um, but if, and there's also some people that uh, want to make more sizable donations and they prefer to do through a 501c3, they can contact me directly because I have an organization set up that's willing to accept that and then also earmark the money and get it back to us, which is really good. Really money right now because we want to rebuild, okay? The Yellow Dog Community Conservation Fund, they paid for the flights and some of the supplies on the first initial run. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ian and Jim. You know, really, the GoFundMe page is the best thing uh, to, to give money right now, you know? And every little bit. I mean, hey, people give $15. Thank you so much. Thank you. People give $5,000. Thank you, thank you. Copy that. Um, when somebody says GoFundMe, I, my initial reaction is to have some wariness. I know you. I know you're a good guy. I know you've got another business. You are financially set. You're not going to tap into these funds to fill your pockets. What is the financial infrastructure, the accountability there so that... Whether it's your GoFundMe Rob and I went back and forth for a while about the differences of donating to his GoFundMe for East End Lodge of Grand Bahama versus H2O Charters page versus Oliver White's page versus the double haul for Dorian through YDCCF versus just Venmoing a guide that you know down in the Bahamas. And like all charity stories, there are a lot of options and there are a lot of good options. But please, before you donate, make sure it's going to something you can support. Rob is on the ground in Grand Bahama helping people right now. And I'm sure those other groups are as well. So if you're thinking about donating, look into it. But please, give. You know, other than, you know, I started my lodge, which this isn't about my lodge. I started my lodge not to make money, because you certainly don't, because I love the people of East End Grand Bahama. I fell in love with them. And they embraced me as a community. And for me, this is personal. I'm going to do everything I can to help them rebuild and get back on their feet. That's 
why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's no other reason. They're really good people. And that is it. That is it. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Sure thing, Elliot. Thanks. Take care. Likewise. All right, bye. Okay, if it wasn't clear before, the situation is bad. But what can we do to help fix it? To answer part of that question, I got on the phone with our Spokane, Washington bureau chief. New York, New York. Yeah. Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? Yeah, buddy. I, I was singing New York, New York like I was a boss right there. But we are we good to go? Are we hitting it up right now? Yeah, I'm recording. You know, I, I was driving down uh, the road the other day, just kind of daydreaming and thinking, there's got to be some way I can help. Or we, uh, if, I don't know, it just kind of like this, there's got to be a way to help these Bahamian folks that are, or Bahamian, I should say. Is it Bahamian, Bahamian? I don't The people of the Bahamas who who just act, got absolutely clobbered and, you know. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay, okay, we're going to get there in a sec. Um, oh, sorry. No, my, my bad. All good, all good. Uh, I just want to slow your roll and get a little bit of background information. Like, who are you? Oh, okay, my name's Josh Mills. I live in Spokane, Washington. Just love to hunt and fish and especially have a real big soft spot for anatomist wild fish. You know, I got to back up a little bit in that I, I've never been to the Bahamas, but that category five that just stalled over the top of Abaco just laid waste. I mean, it's the level of the level of destruction is I haven't seen pictures like that before. Everything's in tatters, boats, all, I mean, livelihoods gone for for uh, you know a little bit of time and you know insurance will handle a lot of the lodges and everything like that but i just kind of my heartstrings were pulled because yeah, these people are going to suffer for a long time because life itself would crawl to a standstill for the next couple of years for those for those folks that are just unfortunately in the path of of a changing climate and a disastrous hurricane and a lot of times my ability to uh write checks is never is, I can I can donate my flies or, or things like that that I that I spend a lot of time on. I I spend a lot of time time bugs, time flies, mostly steelhead stuff. And uh and I was thinking, God, what if I could what if I could use finally social media for some good here and see if we can get a little bit of a rally going in the fly time community. So what I did is put a challenge out with a picture of that flattened Abaco Island and one of my steelhead flies and said, Okay, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to put a dozen flies up, and and we'll see how how high the bidding can get within a week. And we're going to donate the money to the Yellow Dog Community and Conservation Fund because they're one of the only accredited 501c3s that can get money to the people on the ground. And none of it's going to lodge reconstruction or anything like that. It, that that's this is this is this is for boots on the ground money and relief to the people of the Bahamas. So uh, I I called out about I don't know. 10 of my favorite people that I follow on Instagram, my bidding took off. And then Brian Gregson of uh, photography fame, and, and he's, you know, has good connections at Yellow Dog and a bunch of other people. He brought in and showed fly fish food, one of the dominant fly tying corners on, on Instagram. He brought up the dozen for Dorian hashtag that you coalesced everybody. So then people could start seeing this. And every day I've been, it just, it's, 
the the steamrolling effect has started to really take place. First day, I think about a dozen people signed up, and then other people started jumping on. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is we got something here. And each day, it's like boom. You just refresh on Instagram, boom, 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 and another tire, another tire, another tire. We hit 2,000 in the first day, and I was just, oh man, do we have something going here? My flies are, I mean, uh, just ridiculous at $350 right now. And my buddy Andrew Gurrios just put up uh, over 300 A-plus steelhead flies. And guys like Rick Matney and Greg Senyo and, you know, just top-level A-plus fly tires are dropping stuff every day. The people have been just ridiculously generous, and there's been a lot of good-natured ribbing inside of uh, the bidding, there's been, uh, you know, a lot of one's up, one-upsmanship. I get into some of the posts and start talking a little bit of crap and egging some more bids on. And uh, just, yeah, it's, 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 it's taken on a life of its own. And uh, my heart's full, man. I, I got to tell you, you know, it does, it's not very much in, in the whole scope of things. But the bonding of community right now is, is where, what the real story of this is that people are jumping on this, no questions asked. But let's say you're out there and you want to you wanna participate. You get on Instagram, get a picture of the flies you want to donate, determine an end date for your auction. For instance, mine was a week, so I've got four or five days left on my initial set of flies. And then make sure two things is that in the, your post, use the hashtag dozen and then F-O-R Dorian so we can track it and see what kind of money we're raising. Also, if you can tag in the post or put in the body of the post, the Yellow Dog Community and Conservation Fund, which is at YDCCF on Instagram, you can see that people can direct donate into that organization so they don't have to use any uh, you know intermediaries or be the person who's you know taking the money and then resubmitting it to someone else. Okay, so your Instagram handle is at MillsFly. If we just do the whole hashtag dozen for Dorian... That should get people towards it. I really liked what you said about using social media for good for once because I have a fraught relationship with all social media platforms and I'm sure most people do. Talk a little bit more about this community aspect of it, which I really enjoy. We all think that fly fishing is everything, but truthfully, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a relatively small blip in the radar of the world, right? But the cool thing is, is that... Um, through fly tying and seeing people's work on Instagram, that has bonded a community, right? And so it was a very quick uptick to just come hit at people and go direct message people, slide into their DMs and say, hey, join us. And everybody's been, yep, 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 no problem. And this is the community that we're looking to foster. This is how you react as a team, as a coalesced force for good. Because we, you know, people, you know, some of the worst in humanity comes out on social media. But this is a time where we, we came together as a community and are coming together. We're not done with this. Let's say somebody came out there and wrote a $10,000 check tomorrow, and that's awesome. But I think that this is a good starting point for people to come together to help for good. And maybe this is how friendships are forged when you know you can call on people in a time of need. And social media finally is doing the thing that it, we endeavor it to do. Well, cool. Uh, yeah, I got to get up there, get bidding, um, and we'll be in touch, Josh. Thanks, buddy. Okay. See ya. Later, man. So get out there. 
get on Instagram and tie a hashtag dozen for Dorian. If you don't tie, bid on a dozen flies. Give to Double Hall for Dorian. Get on GoFundMe. I really can't choose which organization you donate to. But do your due diligence and find one that you can get behind. Ten bucks, twenty bucks, a couple hundred? I don't know. But it's bad over there in the Bahamas. And there are actionable steps that we can take to help make it better. Wowza. This was kind of a depressing episode. But it's the truth. Pretty soon we're going to be back with something more uplifting, perhaps? I don't know. Pretty soon we're going to be releasing a Steelhead miniseries, so keep your eyes on the feed for that. I know we've been on a break for a while, but we've got some recordings that need to get out there. Okay, thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast. <laughs>